Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey everybody, welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Chip Chinnery. And before we get to Chip, here's a few announcements. First, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. You can go there and see photos of our guests. You can see stories that some of the guests have written. You can see stories that I've written. You can see links to their sites and social media. And you can see links to our social media. And by that, I'm talking Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Subscribe to us at all those places if you can. Also, we're on Stitcher Radio, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on iHeartRadio. We're basically everywhere you get podcasts. So, whatever platform you're listening on, I do ask you to please give a good rating. That costs you nothing, hardly takes any time. Heck, maybe even say a few nice things, because that boosts our presence there and helps more people find the show, and that's a cool thing for you to do. So if you do that, I'd appreciate it. And if you think you'd be right for the show, or maybe you know somebody would be right for the show, if you have travel questions you want to ask me, or maybe you just uh, say nice things, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. So here we are. We've made it to the end of another year, 2022. It's been kind of a weird year, hasn't it? Hasn't been my best year, certainly in terms of health. For regular listeners and those of you who know me know that first week of January this year started off not well because I got a detached retina while working on a cruise ship in Mexico. That required surgery. That laid me out for a few months where I couldn't fly, couldn't even go above 2,600 feet because of the gas bubble that was placed in my eye. It was a nightmare. Then I developed a cataract which was also not fun, had to get that operated on. And all the while, I wasn't really traveling that much. I wasn't working, certainly not enough as I should be working. And me not being able to be very mobile or independent or being able to travel, that hit me right where it hurts. And then when I finally did venture out in uh, July to go do a cruise in Alaska and work on that performing comedy, what happens? I get COVID and then I get locked down again. Luckily, I recovered from that. Millions were not so lucky. But nevertheless, I still managed to get around a little bit. I did a few more ships. I did another ship from Alaska back to California, which thankfully went off without a hitch. And then, of course, it was a three-week trip to New York and then back to Europe for the first time since the pandemic, Portugal and Italy, and that was amazing. Just what I needed to recharge and once again reignite my love of travel. And I look forward to getting back out there again. This episode is dropping on December 22nd, which is the day I get back or scheduled to get back from Cartagena, Colombia, where I met a ship on December 11th and returned on the 22nd and have to get all the way back to Los Angeles for the holidays and relaxing. As you can tell, I'm recording this before I leave. So let's just hope and assume that my trip was wonderful and I got home in one piece with uh, no delays or lost luggage or anything like that from Cartagena. Now, I've been to Medellin, Colombia which was my last foreign trip in January of 2020, my last foreign trip before the world shut down. And Medellin was great, but I haven't been to Cartagena before, so I'll only have a night there, but I'm looking forward to it nevertheless. 
Anyway, our last episode, I talked to Noman Hosni, comedian. And this episode is another one with a comedian friend of mine. Now, Noman I had just met like the week before. Chip Chinnery is a guy I've known for over 30 years. We met as struggling stand-up comics back in the Midwest. He started out in 1988, a couple of years before me. He was based out of Cincinnati. And our paths crossed every so often, either on the road or mostly in Chicago, where he lived briefly. And the thing about working with Chip that was very unique at the time is that you'd work with him one week, and a week or so later, you would get a card in the mail from Chip that had a photo of you and him and maybe whoever else you worked with, and just a little note saying, hey, Mike, you know, nice to meet you. Had a great time working with you there or there. And this was, you know, 30 years ago. And I worked with thousands of people over the years. Hardly any would take a photo with you, much less send you one (laughs) a week later with a card. And this is pre-cell phone. Everybody didn't have like a camera in their pockets where we could just share photos. This was this took a little effort on his part. And he did this every week from day one. Now, Chip moved out here to LA in the mid-90s and really kind of stopped doing the road. And he's been a very successful actor and he does a lot of commercials, parts in TV shows and some movies. But over the years, he's gone back over the photos and journals that he kept from his time on the road and he compiled them into a book. And the book has just been released. It's called Charging Mount Stand-Up, My First Year on the Road. The book chronicles his first year on the road as a full-time stand-up comic. And it's just a great time capsule of someone traveling around the country solo for the first time in his life. And it's also good if you're a fan of stand-up comedy and want to see what it was like back in the day. It's a nice little memento because the business, although a lot of it's still the same, a lot of it has changed. So it's a fun book. And of course, it has a lot of photographs. There's great showbiz stories about him working with like a 17-year-old Dave Chappelle and a bunch of other well-known comics. So it's a lot of fun. Chip has his own money website called chipsmoneytips.com, and he was on this podcast early on, years ago, and he talked about great uh, travel hacks that he used and good ways to save money while traveling. So if you want to dig deep, you can find that episode. We talk a lot about that. You can follow him at Chip Chinnery on Instagram. You can go to chipchinnery.com, and there's a book link, or you can find the book link also at traveltalespodcast.com. And I thought we'd end the year on a nice lighthearted chat between a couple older comics. (laughs) It's weird to say older guys in our 50s. I guess we are older, certainly in show business we are. So I thought we'd end the year with a nice lighthearted conversation with a couple of aging comedians rehashing the old days when we were just a couple of kids in our 20s just trying to make it. I look back on those days fondly and really think they planted a seed in me about solo traveling and let me know that I could do it and I wasn't afraid of doing it. So traveling around in those early days as a comedian on the road was a great stepping stone to taking my first solo travel abroad when I went to Australia and New Zealand. And from then on, there was no stopping me with the travel bug. So I'm glad Chip could do it. The book is called Charging Mount Stand Up, My First Year on the Road. Check it out. It's a lot of fun. Here's my chat with Chip Chinnery. Chip Chinnery, how are you? Mike Siegel, how are you? Thank you for having me on. No, I'm uh, I'm glad you could do this, and I'm proud of you for finally finishing that book. <laughs> how how long did it take to finish that book? Uh, I started in April of 2017, and then I finished it eh, June of 2021. So four years from when I started transcribing my journals till I said, "All right, that's it." Nothing like a global pandemic to make you finish a book, right? Oh, I was like, well, thank goodness March 2020 came around. Yeah, I was like, (laughs) everybody's at home. I'm reaching out to comics. Hey, I want to clarify something. I know we haven't talked in 30 years, but when we got pulled over by the cops in uh, Charleston, (laughs) South Carolina, blah, blah, blah. It's true. I'd reach out to guys. 
hadn't talked to in 30 years. And they're like, oh, yeah. Hey, man, how's it going? <laughs> Suddenly they had time to chat. Yeah. Just sitting here at home doing nothing. <laughs> so the book is called Charging Mount Stand Up. So this chronicles just a year, uh, your chronicles, first year. It chronicles my very first year on the road as a professional stand up, which was October 1988 to October of 1989. Uh, the title is something I mentioned in the first couple of pages. It alludes to when I started committing myself to doing open mics every week for a year. And then I burned my ships at the shore and charged up Mount Standup to go become a professional standup. Now, I say that and I warn you, do not try to Google this or try to get this at Amazon, because if you put in charging mount standup, evidently there are a lot of uh, charging mounts for phones that will stand up. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think some of the guys at my research and development guys, heads are going to roll because uh, yeah, I should have researched that myself. Sorry. Your SEO, your, your uh, yeah. You didn't, <laughs> when you even Amazon can't get it, when Amazon's going charging mount standup, here, here you go. Plug it right in. No, no, you need no, a charging no. mount for when you're standing yeah. up? Emery Emery, another comedian, uh, sent me a he sent a video. Okay, dude, I'm typing it in here at Amazon. This shows up. So then I type in stand up chip chinnery and I get all these things and it's Lay's potato chips. Like, really? <laughs> I thought even that chip chinnery is so specific that you would I would think you would get right to the business. But so if you want the book, you go to chipchinnery.com and type or click on the book that's the first thing you'll see. Okay. Certainly kudos to finish it. For you, you for finishing it because you know I have like plenty of journals that I've kept over travels over the years uh -huh. and I've kept them uh private but with an idea that maybe I'll turn this into a book one day maybe we break them out tonight right here but <laughs> yeah but you I mean for, for everybody knows I should back it up because you you <laughs> and I go way back 30 years right. or so uh yeah. you started in Cincinnati I started in Chicago but we all played the same kind of uh, Midwest clubs and all that. Yep. And one nighters, the full time clubs. Yeah. And I think the first time we worked together, I mean, of course, you of all people have a record of it. I do, Mike. <laughs> Thank you for asking. <laughs> and you sent me a photo, I think, you know, a month or two after we, after we worked together. And I got a card in the mail with a little photograph of the, of me, you, and I think Bell, maybe Marvin the, Bell. Marvin, Marvin Bell. Bell. And we were at the Naperville Funny Bone, I believe. You're you're correct. You were the opening act and MC for the evening, and I was the middle act, and Marvin Bell was the headliner. And I got, I'm looking now at my my database. It was uh, June 8th through 13th of 1993. And wow. as I recall, the Bulls were in the playoffs, and we were going over to the bar next door to watch the game between sets. The Bulls in the playoffs during the 90s was brutal for clubs in Chicago. It was <laughs> like, uh, yeah, you could not compete with the Bulls. On no. the court or off the court, if you owned anything but a sports bar. Yeah, it was tough. That was we tough. Had, we had fun. And uh, yeah, that you mentioned the photo. I would take a photo with everybody I worked with uh, right away. I did that since day two of my career because I thought, well, I'm going to keep a journal because otherwise this is all going to blur into one long gig. And I'm going to take pictures because I like taking pictures anyway. I, I'm a, I was always an archivist. I didn't realize it, but I always was. So. Taking photos for me was just something I did. That was before we had cameras in our pockets. <laughs> I know. Film. You, you actually had to have a, a real camera. Yeah. So you'd get a lot of, I'd, I'd set up the shot, hand it off to a waitress, and they'd usually just take the picture. But so often people would just grab it, and their first thing was to adjust the focus. And you like, oh, no, don't do that. Let me, <laughs> let me do it again. And you had to go to the photo mat and hope that it all turned out. Yeah. The one-hour photos, that was a, eh, 
okay. I thought that they were good. And I'll be honest, I, I have all the negatives and I have, they're all in plastic sheets. So I, I started writing this book and I said, okay, I'm going to have, I'm going to have uh, the photos and I'm going to have little ticket stubs and little club listings, all the things that, like I have in my scrapbook. And I'm going to open up my scrapbook pages, peel back that piece of cellophane. and I'm going to scan all the photos. Well, when the photo albums are 30 years old, uh, the sticky has gone. If you put it back down, uh, the page likes to tear. So I was like, <laughs> yeah. this will take me a year and I will go insane. And then uh, I found some guy who scans negatives in town, uh, Hollywood photo scanning, Tony, Tony Lavigny. And uh, I was like, it's like 80 cents a cop, 80 cents a picture. I'm like, that's a lot of money. Would you mind showing me a sample of what you could do? And he did. And I was like, oh, damn it. It is so much <laughs> better than what I had. And you think about it, he's in the business and these other people are girls who worked at the one hour photo. They're doing their best, but it's not like the professional photo developer did. So I had to hire him and have him scan all of my photos. Oh, and wow. they were so much better than what I had. So he takes the uh, the negatives. Yeah. He, he runs a new, he just gives you a digital copy of that and he touches them up and, or is yes. it just like exactly uh, they, how you shot it? Uh, they take it, they scan it. They scan the negative into their machine, and then he goes through, he said, like 30 different processes for sharpening and color adjusting and on and on and on, things that they know how to do that I don't know how to do. And uh, he said, you know, we could spend an hour on every photo, so I'm going to give you the raw photo that we scanned, then I'll give you the enhanced photo with all the adjustments, and uh, if you ever really want to dig back in to a photo, you can, and you could spend hours making it even better, but... It, I, it didn't need to be done. So I, okay. I was happy with what came out of it. So how many photos are in this book? Uh, there are over 500 images. <laughs> oh, 260 of them are group photos with me and the other comedians or the comedians on stage or me on stage. And then there are a lot of other, I, I included a lot of different uh, collectible type things like scans from the comedy club flyers that I had collected or tickets or um, I have also in every chapter, I have a little Google map that shows the town that I went from, from one town to the other to give a better picture. It's, uh, you know, people always say, well, you drove from Cincinnati to Nashville. Where's that? Well, here it is. <laughs> so it paints a better picture of the, the, uh, chore of the driving stand-up comedian. How from your, uh, Cincinnati base, what was the farthest you went? And was this all driving or did you fly at all? I drove the entire year. It was 44,000 miles. I, I, in a year? In one year, in my Honda, my 86 Honda. Thank, thankfully, it was only like a three-year-old car. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a lot of driving. My longest drive was uh, from Orlando to Cincinnati. That was 900 miles. Oof. I did that in a day. I also drove from Wichita to Cincinnati, and that was like 850 miles. And then, of course, the next day I had to drive another 400 miles. So it was like 1,200 miles in 48 hours. I was like, Ugh. Yeah. Can you imagine what if we tried that now, what it would do to our backs? Oh, <laughs> I think about that now. I remember a weekend I did with Brian Noonan. It was uh, basically we did a lap around Lake Michigan. Uh -huh. We went all the way over to uh, – to, we went from Chicago down the bottom to Michigan – up over the top to Sault Ste. Marie to something on the upper peninsula to like Iron Mountain. Iron Mountain was a back place. Down. It was, it was a whole, I think it was like 1,200 miles. Yeah. In, uh, oh my God. In, in three yeah. days we did it. Yeah. Those, those were tough ones. I remember some of those Northern Michigan runs. I was like, oh, I'm driving for six or eight hours between one nighters. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah.
I remember, I remember driving, driving from Chicago to uh, to audition in Lou and uh, was it Louisville for uh, Tom Sobel for Tom Sobel yeah. at his club, the the Caravan or whatever. And me and I want to say two other comics, we drove it was five hours or more down to Louisville to do a free five minute audition. Yeah. And then we immediately turned around and drove back all night long. My book actually starts kind of starts there. That was the I auditioned for those people, Tom Sobel and TSM, the comedy caravan on October 4th. And then uh, he looked at the tape, said, I can hire you and gave me the, my first two weeks of work starting October 17th. So wow. The funny farm in Louisville that got it going. What was your day job that you left? You were working in TV, right? Well, I, I graduated from Miami University with a degree in business psychology. And Miami I, of Ohio, folks. Let's not get too right. excited about it. The anxiety. first one. The first one. <laughs> we'll tell you that all the time. We were there before Miami, the other one. Anyway, uh, so I got a business psych degree. Then I worked as a TV cameraman for two years for the Cincinnati CBS affiliates, WCPO, back at the time. Now it's an ABC affiliate. Minutia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then I got hired to do, do a, well, while I was working at Channel 9, I was editing this documentary that I made. So this is more of this archivist in me. I, I bought a video camera my senior year in college and edited that, the great Delt Time Capsule, uh, <laughs> a.k.a. From Here to Fraternity, a day-by-day year-in-life documentary of life around my fraternity, which I get mocked. People mock me when we play poker here. You and Mr. Gil Martin make For, jokes about my... Little poster Delt time cast capsule photo still on the wall. <laughs> it's uh it's uh it's my first film. I like to, I spin it now that I'm a documentary maker, yeah. filmmaker. Uh, so is it on Netflix at, now? Can I see that on Netflix? Uh yeah, we're talking. We're talking with them about uh <laughs> hey, they buy everything, it. man. They buy everything. It's a tight 14 hours, you know. <laughs> I edited it down from 80. You know, you can't not have the five side delt soccer game highlights you can't. in there. I, I need to see that. Yeah. So we did uh I worked at a TV station, then I Got hired to work as a PR director for a bank in Connecticut and called the Bank Mart. And uh, it was one of my fraternity brother's dads who hired me. He was, this kid was a pledge. I made this video. I sent letters to parents saying, hey, buy your kid a video for Christmas. And the CEO of the bank, Mr. Freeman, wrote me and said, hey, I think you're just the kind of go-getter we need here. And I was like, oh, what? Why does the bank need such a, a PR person? Yeah. I don't know. They always need something. <laughs> I only stepped in it once, though, in my career as a PR director. I said, someone was interviewing us about our new 30-minute mortgage. And I said, yeah, as long as when they apply, as long as they don't lie about it, we're good. Not something that the spokesman <laughs> for the bank should say. <laughs> I was only 24. They gave me a, too much power. I was... <laughs> you were drunk. Drunk with power. <laughs> yeah, so that was... uh I left that. That's the job I left. But I didn't take the job until I knew that I could do open mics every week up there. Yeah. And my college roommate uh, knew a guy who was doing stand up in the area, Tom Hertz. And we got on the phone and met and talked. And he gave me the here's where you go. It'll work. So I took the <laughs> job and did that for nine months before I quit to do stand up full time. OK, so now you're on the road and. A lot of guys, I mean, I can't think of any other guys that were doing what you were doing in terms of like. Just meticulously archiving. I mean, I still have, I found during lockdown when I'm cleaning out closets, my old date books, my old uh, calendars. Yeah. And they were kind of interesting to go back and, and look at. But yeah, then I kind of envied you 
and going, boy, I don't remember who I worked with. <laughs> I remember anything yeah. about that. You know, I mean, just vague stuff, but it would be kind of fascinating to see. It's strange. When I went through the journal, what I did is I took the journals that were in my notebooks and I put on the, I bought some Dragon Naturally Speaking software, put on the headset that came with it, and I spoke the book into the, through the software and it turned it all into text so I could have something to work with. And I, so many times I was like, I don't know who this is. Who am I talking about? Who's this guy? Who's, who's Stephanie? Uh, we evidently went on a date and says, it says right here, she's hot. <laughs> but it's so funny that you're like, I have no recollection of going on a date with this woman who evidently was so important that yeah. I wrote about it in the journal. <laughs> so I think our lives do kind of slip away. But then again, the other side of the coin is, do you want to spend all your, excuse me, all your life writing about what you're doing instead of doing? Yeah. And that's one thing about being a stand-up is you have so much downtime that it it's not a terrible idea to sit in the condo and write a little bit down, but yeah. You're supposed to write a little, write some jokes. You know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> write some jokes, not so much the journal. <laughs> I read something that said, oh, any kind of writing is good. So as long as you're writing, uh, so does it count to write in the journal instead of jokes? <laughs> That's what my mind was at. Right. Well, give like uh, a highlight of some of the people that you worked with who are now famous. I think Chappelle, right? Was there? Dave Chappelle was my uh, 17-year-old opening act. In uh, Washington, D.C., we got hired. Actually, the first time we worked together was in Alexandria, Virginia. And uh, I was supposed to work the downtown D.C. Garvin's Comedy Club called Garvin's Laugh-In. They said, no, we've got Benny Ricardo here. Oh, He's being held over a second week. I'm like, who's Benny Ricardo? He's a former NFL place kicker, and now he's a comedian. He's going to be on The Tonight Show. Okay, Mm. where do I go? We have a new gig for you. It's out in Alexandria, about 12 miles away. It's called the American Grill. I said, what's that? Uh, you're headlining, so just enjoy yourself. And <laughs> these guys are going with you. So it was, they, I drove Jeff Hatz was the opening act and Dave Chappelle was the middle act. And we got in my car and drove out to this diner <laughs> and they you, you imagine a diner with all these booths in these bench seats. And they took out the table in one of these booths and the bench seats and put a little one foot high stage and a microphone and an amplifier. And then they just, uh, Hey, there's a standup show now. And everybody, you know, it's uncomfortable. So everybody's craning their necks like 90 degrees to look at the stage (laughs) and no one's happy. So it was, I was the, uh, Jeff Hatz was the opening act. We were 10 feet from the salad bar and Jeff's like, "Mm, looks like somebody likes Thousand Island. That was his crowd work. (laughs) People would come up and fix their salad. So what is a 17 year old Dave Chappelle like? I put here in my journal. he, He wasn't somebody who blew you away. First of all, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I knew. But um, he was good, and he was only 17. And I'm yeah. a guy who started when I was 16, almost 17, and I was nowhere near that level of good. Um, I did write I, the end of my book. I have a screenshot from my journal about what I thought of his ability. And here's what I wrote uh, just briefly. Uh, middling doing 20 minutes is David Chappelle. He's a 17-year-old black kid, originally from Dayton, Ohio. He's been doing comedy for three years come April. He's in D.C. living and going to school. He's very likable on stage. Nice presence, big smile, not high energy. He'll probably be big in this biz. I predict TV and movies. He's so young. <laughs> well, you should have managed that kid. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Man, he's already been doing it three years. That's yeah. incredible. You he's know, I started at 22, you know, yeah. and I sucked. Yeah. Everybody sucks when they start. <laughs> yeah. and he was just so, so much further along. Yeah, so he wow. was one of the guys. Um, 
Dave Attell, Bill Hicks, Rita Rudner, Richard Belzer, Brian Regan. They were all guys who, guys and gal whom I worked with. Have, uh, did you reach out to try to reach out to all of them? Yes. I couldn't connect with Belzer. I reached Rita Rudner's agent and uh, the word came back. She's not interested in being a part of the book. Well, <laughs> she's going to be a part of the book. But I just I was asking, hey, can I do you mind if I include a joke of yours in my book? You know, so people get a sensibility right. for what she was if they don't know her. So that's fine. Whatever. Um, Brian Regan was very kind. He Brian Regan, uh, super clean comic. And he, you opened for him recently. Yeah, just year, right? uh, my first gig after the pandemic. Is so May of 2020. No, oh, May yeah. of uh, 2021. I'm sorry. You might like this. We were working at a club called the Comedy Trap in Niagara Falls. It was their second week being opened. And uh, Brian was the special engagement. He wasn't a big star yet, but he had just won the $10,000 Miller Lite comedy contest in New York. And uh, the crowds were sparse because it was mostly people vacationing on honeymoons or whatever. We had about 20 people a show, and they'd sit far away from us, literally 20 feet away from us. It's like, no, please come closer. You're killing me, people. Right. Um, but anyway, things weren't going even well for Brian. And at one point, he goes, what, what do you guys, guys want to hear? And they go, dice. Because Andrew Dice Clay was big at the time. And then he did his donut lady joke, uh, if you know that joke. But he did it as if Dice Clay was were doing it. And he peppered with, with F-bombs all over the place. It was kind of, because <laughs> Brian's so squeaky clean. I know, which is so unlike him. Yeah, it was so funny to see him do that. So The first time I saw Brian and we worked with him was at the Funny Firm in Chicago. And everybody was so excited that he was, you know, coming in and headlining. And he was known for being clean, you know? Yeah. And so, but the staff would always beg him to do this one bit about a kid in class doing something, but he would swear during it. And they got a great kick out of seeing Brian Regan swear. <laughs> and he's still clean to this day. So when he does swear and how rare it is, it just hits that much harder, you know, because it's so like, you don't see that coming at all. I had that happen to me in Knoxville, Tennessee at the Comedy Zone. I, I always worked clean and I was working with Todd Yon and Stuart Hill. And at some point, I wanted the crowd didn't like me at all. They were just not giving it up. And uh, for some reason, I, I, I instead of I wanted to say, "Hey, you folks," and for some reason, I said, "Hey, you fucks." <laughs> and then I leaned in and I go, "All right, you listen, you fucks." <laughs> and they laughed because same same type of thing. Like they knew I was clean. I was yeah. like Opie Cunningham, and uh, <laughs> they're like, "This kid's a clean cut kid. What's he doing?" And then Todd and Stewart were clapping. We had a nice time. Did Did you record in your Journal, of course you did. The the worst set you had. What would you say that year? Did you bomb the hardest? Did it the hardest one? I mean, that was. I had not in when I was in uh, Niagara Falls. I'd written down. I don't remember the last time I got no response, but it was that <laughs> week. It's like, how do you? These are jokes I've done before. It's not like I think they're not good. So that was tough. But then that was just one night that that happened. The toughest is Nashville, Tennessee. Zany's Comedy Club. Did you ever play Zany's in Nashville? I have. Yeah. Did it go over? Yeah. Yeah. I really? mean, this was like, I mean, after I, this is only like seven years ago, maybe. Okay. So I was there yeah. working and then they gave me a, a set, you know, they gave me a night that, you know, to do stand up and okay. I was on working on a production down there. So like a lot of people from the show came out you know, that I was working on. And, and so I kind of stacked the room, but it just seemed like a normal comedy club to me. And I knew the guys, the Zanies guys from Chicago. Was that Brian Dorfman? Yeah. Okay. And again, that was 25 years after I was there. So 
I don't know, maybe I wasn't as good, but the, the room was not uh, kind to me. And it was, it was the weird thing was is they weren't kind until the weekend. But I got that bad first impression Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, first show Friday. It's like, damn it, I hate you people. It was awful. <laughs> so I worked there with Bill Hicks and Mark Boyd. Uh, the first night Sinbad came in. He was in town shooting something or another. And I introduced Sinbad. And they're like, yeah, 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 right. It's, a, it's June. It's a Tuesday night. The audience didn't believe me. But then, no, here comes Sinbad on the stage with his fanny pack on. <laughs> it was cool to watch that wave of recognition because he was at the time starring on a different world the cosby spinoff so oh he yeah was he was big a legit star then it's like huh, what real guy all right yeah didn't he um, win star search wasn't that his big thing or something i don't doubt it because he was he's really good yeah he was really good uh he he's a, a ill right now he's fighting some illness yeah. on the comeback trail sinbad had one of those things that like there's certain guys that and Drew Carey has it. And I think Kevin James to a point that the second they walk on stage, people just love them. You know, yes. I know it's a, it's a charisma. It's a Q rating or whatever they call it in TV. He's but got it. Yeah. People just love them. It just, no matter what he, even if their jokes are, eh, right. They just, they just go with it because they, you know, the women like him. They think he's big, cuddly teddy, teddy bear. And the, the guys yep. think he's fun and cool. <laughs> just, yeah. People just love him. Yeah, exactly. You can't buy that. I mean, you can't practice it. You can't. It's just likability, you know? Yeah, you have it. You have it. But that was a tough week there. It got so bad. Uh, like, I was happy to be working with Bill Hicks, who at the time was still getting big. I was surprised he was doing a week at a club. Yeah. How did he go over in Nashville? Uh, you you can imagine. I mean, at one point, he <laughs> dropped the mic going, Uncle, you win, Uncle. <laughs> and he slams the mic on the ground. And then another night, he was talking about... Uh, it's like, you guys have no attention span. It's like, I take a sip of my Coke. And then you're like, who's this? Oh, hi, I'm Bill. Oh, oh. Uh, he was, he was very funny, very cool, very normal. We would go to movies every day and, and uh, we talked comedy, which I really liked. And then it got to the point, my, my shows weren't going well. So then I decided halfway through uh, one of the Saturday, uh, halfway through Saturday night or Friday, I forget which, I was just going to come up with the hackiest things, meaning overdone premises that I could do. And, uh, I was going to do them, uh, as Jack Nicholson. It was just this convoluted <laughs> thing. So that's I, like twice I, the hack, the hacky bits and the uh, uh, hacky Nicholson impression. We sat down between the shows. I was writing with Bill. I was like, what can I do? Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to go on stage as Michael Jackson. I'm, I'm going to tell people I'm a master impressionist. And then I'm going to do Michael Jackson as a Jehovah's witness, knocking on the door of Jack Nicholson and then Jack Nicholson shopping, at a grocery and getting a price check on tampons, the whole thing. And then they go to McDonald's and all these hackety hack, hack, hack overdone premises are in there. And the audience loved it. And I hated them for loving it, but uh, <laughs> I crushed. And then I came off and Hicks was like, man, you transcended comedy. That's hilarious. I never laughed that hard. And I was like, Oh, thank goodness. I was so happy. I was working at a bank nine months before, but here's one of the hippest guys in town telling me I'm fantastic. I was like, Oh, I also won. I also was bombing so hard early, like a night earlier, like on a Thursday, that I was like, "I'm not going to give you my good jokes. I'm going to just go play the piano here." And I've never played that piano, so I don't know how to play the piano. I should say, but I I knew how to play the beginning of the Entertainer. So I was like, "Any requests? Any any requests at all?" And they said, "Somebody no. say the Entertainer." I pretended to hear that <laughs> as a good performer. So I played the Entertainer. I said, "Any uh, what any ragtime? What any?" Whoop. How about the, the theme from the, play the entertainer? And then I said, how about movie themes? 
And then they kind of got it, and I played the entertainer. <laughs> but I was just frustrated. I'm laughing. Look at me. I'm laughing. See? I was trying, and they, they kind of <laughs> got it. And then I really liked it because I screwed it up the next night. I kept going back to it. I screwed it up, and then I just tortured them as I kept insisting on playing till I got it right. <laughs> Damn you, Nashville. Bizarro Nashville. <laughs> and you got a photo with the, the late, great Bill Hicks, too? I do. Hicks and weird. I have a photo of us doing it. There it is. I turned right to it. We're doing our Nicholson impressions. I don't know if you can see it. Mike. <laughs> you got to hold the on. hair back and do the. Yeah. So we got. Um, that was fun. Wow. Okay. Did died. you? Yeah, I know. It's very sad. Did you uh, ever have like any mechanical issues? Did your car break down on the road? Anything happen? Uh, I had my car break down in Janesville, Wisconsin. It got shredded. The tire. I ran over something. And from that moment on, it was. I found this bolt. And I from that moment on, whenever I see a bolt or a screw or a nail in the street, I'd pick it up because it's just going to take somebody down. But yeah. it was like one of those days where it was driving rain and it was raining sideways. It was blowing and raining sideways. And I had to empty my trunk, which was packed with all my bags. And I was just laughing just so I could get to my spare tire. I was just like, oh, this is the worst. But, you know, that's life on the road. I think about all the driving we did and the traveling we did before cell phones now and and you know you talk to the kids today they can't believe it but yeah you know it just like i'd be driving in the middle of winter it's 20 below outside it's the middle of the night driving home from like upper michigan or something and i'm on a two-lane road completely dark and going this is deer country a deer runs out in front of me i hit it i'm dead you know even even if the impact doesn't kill me if i'm stuck out here no yeah. one's going to find me. <laughs> no, There's no other cars coming. It's like, well, you know, one in the morning. It's No one's coming till the morning. And they'll find my frozen body <laughs> in this uh, car. Look at that. A rubber chicken next to his head. <laughs> must be a comedian. Journal. Yeah, that. Journal. A lot of photos here. A lot of, this guy goes <laughs> to the photo metal lot. Well, there are these rolls of film. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I remember coming back from uh, Buffalo, and I always liked to drive at night because there was less traffic. And for me, I thought it was easier to see. But you know, had all those built-in problems like deer crossing. and Yeah. Um, but I remember leaving and I was like, I got to get the lake effect snow was pounding coming from Buffalo down to Cincinnati. And so I just, uh, I had, I, I was down to one headlight and I was just going along the road and it felt like, uh, an apocalyptic scene. Like there was a blazer, <laughs> Chevy blazer turned over on its side there was another uh, semi flipped over completely, and I was r- driving with my one headlight on, and I came upon another semi on my right. There was flames shooting out of the back tire. I was like, what is that? <laughs> and I just got up next to his cab, and I honked, and I pointed, and then he pulled over. And I'm like, I have no idea what the hell's going on here. I feel like I'm in Mad Max, <laughs> the winter version. I know. I, I mean, how many bullets I dodged doing that? Did you have a rule of... Like my rule was if I could make it home by, I think, four in the morning, it was either three or four in the morning, I would drive, I would go for it to sleep in my own bed, you know? Uh-huh. Um, And there was only a couple of times I didn't make it. Like, and I remember them specifically. One was coming back from St. Louis to Chicago, which is about four and a half hour drive. And I tried to uh-huh. make it after the late show. And I was just like, I was falling asleep. I had to pull over somewhere and, and slept in a parking lot. The other time was from Green Bay. I tried to make it late and it was it was a mistake. It was a mistake. How about wow. you? I I didn't have any rule. I would go for it all the time cuz I stayed up anyway. My I would stay up till 2 anyway. And then I yeah. thought, well, if I can go further. 
and I just liked being home. And I, I know there were many, yeah, I would like 8 a.m. get home. Sometimes <laughs> I'd pull over into a rest stop or a gas station and just sleep in my Honda for about 30 minutes or 90 minutes. I remember once sleeping about an hour and getting woke awakened by uh, cold air coming back in the car, you know. So it was winter. <laughs> right. I was like, oh, it's so cold out. And I gotta that's that's just a bad way to wake up. But I, <laughs> yeah. I would always do that. I also was bad at about I would drive tired. Like I I remember one stupid time I was going from Raleigh to Orlando. Dude, <laughs> you could have left a day early, cut the trip in half. No, I'm good. I'm not paying for a hotel. Yeah. I don't have twenty two dollars for a motel six. <laughs> yeah, well, now you're gonna get docked fifty bucks for being late to the show. Um <laughs> It was all exciting when we were starting to go on the road. I remember how excited I was. I had seen, you know, the country to a point, but never solo. You know what I mean? Right. I was traveling. We did road trips with my family. It was always from Chicago to Florida, it seemed. We did that all the time yep. to see to see family. So I knew that route pretty well. I mean, was there a place that that year particularly you were really excited to go to and that blew you that kind of surprised you that I didn't know I'd like this place and I really kind of do. Well, I did. Uh, let me think about that. That's a question I hadn't thought. I, well, I loved going to Florida for spring training. That, I'm oh, a baseball right. fan. So that was one of my first, my dream as a kid sitting in Cincinnati in the snow was that, oh, these guys are in uh, spring training. Oh, I'm going to go there one day. So I was able to go down to Orlando, Florida. The first day uh, I was working with T. Sean Shannon, funny comic. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, he actually reached out a couple of weeks before the gig saying, hey, are you, do you have a car? Yeah. Are you a baseball fan? Yeah. You want to go see spring training? Go, yeah. So T. Sean and I would hit baseball games every day. We didn't know each other, but we got to know each other. And then uh, the first game we went to was at Winter Haven, and we saw the Red Sox play the Reds, and and uh, Roger Clemens was on the mound. Oh, and wow. Okay. Closer, and we, we heard a popping of a glove. I'm like, could that be Clemens pitching? And it was, because he just <laughs> threw so hard. <laughs> could you, too bad you didn't get a photo with him. Yeah, that's a good point. That's one good thing about, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, there's one good thing about spring training in these games that you can get close yeah. enough to get a photo with players. And I was like spring training almost better than going to see regular <laughs> regular games. Oh, and pictures in the books, it was so lower end than what it is today. Today, it's super fancy compared to there. Was, this is like you think you're on a, like a high school lot. There's condos <laughs> in the background. It's like bleachers. It's like not as nice as it is today. And maybe that's why they left, you know, yeah. left those facilities. <laughs> But it was really, uh, and I agree, like I met the Reds of broadcasters are Marty Brenneman and Joe Nuxall at the time. And I remember <clears> walking up to the booth and saying hello and talking <laughs> because talking to Marty, whose son, Tom, was a, he was in broadcasting in Cincinnati. And when I worked in Cincinnati, I got to meet him a little bit. And uh, so it was kind of funny. So I told Marty a story about when we were in Little League together and my team, Mount Washington Cleaners, played Tom's team, uh, the Midland <laughs> Eagles. And uh our coach said he needed a cup. And then you came over, Marty, and you handed him a Dixie cup. And like, or no, whatever the situation was. He, <laughs> Marty needed a cup, and my coach gave him a Dixie cup. And uh, Marty's like, no, the other kind. So, yeah, you got to meet these people. And it was so laid back and so cool and fun. And uh, that Orlando stuck out in my mind that year. It was a fun place to go. Raleigh, I'd never been to. I found that to be a very beautiful town. I thought about moving there. Oh, yeah. Same Atlanta. I like that as well. The clubs were great. The people were nice. And I was like, you know, I could move here. But I could then, get know. a vibe. I can never get a vibe on Atlanta. You know, no. I just don't. You know what it is? It's look, it's a big city. It's really spread out. 
yeah. the traffic's bad. Yeah. Um, just like it's like LA, but without the glamour. <laughs> the, uh, right. There's no real like downtown. I mean, there is a downtown, but it's not. Yeah, I don't get right. it. I, I, Buckhead or where are you going? Yeah, yeah there's cool right. neighborhoods, but there's no real like you know center of it. I think yeah. it just grow. It just grew so fast. I remember like the. the the road trips, you know, going to Florida as a kid, we'd always have to go through Atlanta. And usually from Chicago, we could make it, if we left in the morning, we would make it to Atlanta the first night and usually stop. The whole point was to get through Atlanta at night because during the day, the traffic was too bad. Oh, okay. And I just remember always construction, especially around the airport. In the mm-hmm. 70s and 80s, it was just always construction. And then you get past it and south of it, I think you get toward Valdosta, there was a uh, the speed traps. That's my dad. Oh. There's always a speed trap here. They'll get you. <laughs> They'll get you. Yeah, we drove down to Florida once, and it was on a whim, too. It was after we went to Mass on Sunday afternoon, and somebody said something like, well, it's spring break. What should we do? And we'd go to Florida, and then my parents were kind of like, I guess we could. <laughs> we have an aunt down there. It was so long ago that it's like, well, I'll call Aunt Reen and ask her if uh, she can lend us some money, and I'll write her a check. For the money, because there weren't ATM machines. <laughs> right. And, no and Venmo. Bank branch. Yeah, no Venmo, on and on and on. So <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah. So, like, I know a big common question. I I still get asked to this day, and especially when I was starting out, is when I was first really going on the road, They people would always ask, so are uh, crowds different in the south than they are up north, and are they different regions and stuff like that? Did you hit any of that? Because... I don't really think they're much different. I think the more difference is city to small yeah. town people. But yeah, I think it's it's yeah. it's uh, socio status more than you know. There's rich yeah. people in the South, and there are rich people in Chicago, and they're all kind of the same. Yeah, or you know, there's educated, there's non-educated, and non-educated people didn't usually come to the clubs. I mean, there were you didn't have to have a college degree to get into a club, <laughs> right. but they weren't just complete morons usually. Uh, I had something to tell you. Oh yeah, I was. I was the one thing that stuck out this year that I wrote about in the book is twice, once in uh, Bristol, Tennessee, and another time in Raleigh. People refer to me as a Yankee, which I just never think about. I never think about it. Never did. Never do. I mean, I know I'm a Yankee, but it's like I'm from Ohio. But that's and barely Cincinnati. I mean, that's yeah, hardly you're re- literally over the river from Kentucky. I mean, that's yeah. you're about as south of a Yankee as you could get. Yeah. And, and by the way, are we uh, we're not past that yet, huh? Nope. Well, it was in 89 <laughs> when this guy, the guy in Bristol, Tennessee brought us up. He's like, these Nathan and Chip are both from, they're both from Cincinnati. So they're Yankees. So they're, not, they don't feel comfortable being down here. I'm like, well, that's a great intro, sir. Oh, yeah. get the crowd booing. But it was like, dude, the war ended 125 years before this gig. Yeah. I thought it was so <laughs> strange that you're still thinking about it. Yeah. And still do to this day. But it was like, that was the classic intro that they wanted to screw us in Wisconsin. They tell they tell the crowd we are from Chicago. This guy's from Chicago. Oh. Ooh, bears suck. <laughs> uh, that's all right. Then you're already starting in a gigantic hole. Yeah, I do remember being in Raleigh, and it was uh, Martin Luther King Day, and the banks were open, and the uh, post office was open. And I was like, I was surprised by that because I, I had recently been uh, become a national holiday, but um, or a federal holiday. They uh, they didn't adopt it. I was like, huh? That's yeah, <laughs> yeah. What a nice yeah, day. Yeah, we voted against it. We'd rather work today. Yeah, it was weird. It was weird. I um, did notice, though, like what I remember I was doing a gig. I think it was like Paducah, Kentucky. Yeah. Your neck of the woods. I did a Paducah that first week. 
the yeah, Twin just Lake star. Yeah, just a little bit over the border from Illinois, the Southern Illinois border. Uh-huh. But uh, and people don't realize the Southern Illinois is the South. I mean, it's I know it's in Illinois, but I mean, they got accents down there. I mean, it's far. Yeah, I look up at my map as you say this. I mean, yeah. it's it, Illinois is big, and once you get south of Champaign, and just I mean, it, you're it's the South, man. But it looks, I didn't really look at that, but it goes right, it squeezes right down in there between Kentucky and Missouri. Oh, yeah. It's northern Kentucky, basically. Oh, yeah. I didn't even realize how far. It's almost <laughs> touching Tennessee, right? Oh, yeah. It's way down there. Okay. And I remember like doing, I was just starting to do the road, and then my my sets just weren't doing what I thought they were supposed to. And yeah. finally, like the second night, the owner like pulled me aside and this bar and you just like hey man you gotta slow down uh people are just <laughs> missing half of what you're saying oh wow. and uh and there is something to that i mean they, they do talk a little slower down there mm-hmm. and it's you know it's just the way it is there is a draw there is a a different pace that you can't you can't come there when you're like new york blather <laughs> and just and they just they can't they'll miss it they'll miss your accent you sound like camille paglia yeah she's um, fast and i remember when i was living in new york for the year i was there and even so going from chicago to new york even sped up more and then oh. i did a gig in i think it was around myrtle beach and in south carolina and my brother was living down there briefly and i remember we went to a burger king yeah he picked me up from the airport and we stopped at a burger king it was just taking forever i'd never been through a drive-thru that took this long and i was just going i think something's broken up there i think you know is, is everything all right he goes he just looks at me he goes no this is they just this is how fast they move here and i would yeah, go you're kidding me he's like he's like no this is this is how it goes he's like every day it's like this i go what come on <laughs> chop chop let's go on, let's move it it's a burger wow but i did have to do yeah there was just more of a pacing thing and that's just terms of Hey, look! If you go to a different, uh, you know, language somewhere, you got to slow down. Yeah, you know. True. I mean, I travel around. I'm always amazed when I'm in a foreign country and I'll see Americans uh, go up to like a bartender in France or something and order as if he was back home. Like, hey, give me out of get with a thing and a. I go, hey, man, you can't you can't speak like you're at home to you know someone whose English is their second language you're not not gonna get what you think you want yes just be little choose your words basically slow it down you know but don't talk like you're you know they're mentally challenged (laughs) i would like you know i I have to remind myself when i speak to someone who has a different language as their first language they're not stupid no i actually have to remind myself that because my initial reaction is don't you get dumb no they just don't speak the language yes as well as they're, you they're translating in their head as you're saying it also yeah. sarcasm doesn't work that's the other thing get say what you that. mean say what you mean is basically that so let's uh talk about the book a little more what are some of the other highlights that like people can look forward to that they can when they pick oh. up charging mount stand-up charging mount stand-up my first year on the road i would say that if you're a stand-up fan you'd like it if you're a comedy fan, you like it. If you're a fan of traveling salesmen, you might like it because that's basically what we were doing. We were, yeah, in a way. And I stayed in like uh, so. Ba- each 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 chapter is a gig. So whether it's a one nighter or a week long, it gets its own chapter. So there are over a hundred chapters. So you can pick it up and look and read. And um, 
uh, you just talk about traveling. And I know I stayed in a hotel. I would come up with all these little travel tips along the way. That, oh, great. Uh, that was like when I came into, I, I stayed in a hotel in Kalamazoo. It was a Hilton, a Hilton hotel that was uh, in uh, receivership, which just meant it was bad. It's not, they're not taking <laughs> care of things. It had one outlet that worked in the room. And then I went to take a shower and it was tepid. And I called down to the, hey, is there a problem with a water heater? And they said, uh, just let it run for a while. <laughs> it'll heat up and i'm like that doesn't seem right but okay and then a half hour later it didn't heat up so then i was like all right moving forward whenever i check into a hotel that's one of my things i would walk into a hotel room turn on the sink turn on the hot on the sink flush the toilet turn on the shower when those all worked then i touched the water in the sink if it was hot so then if that all worked out i was checked out i could now sit down in the room and unpack i had to you know of course make sure you're not next to the well here's what happened in uh Morgantown, I'm sorry, West Middlesex, Pennsylvania. I was doing a one nighter with Maury Cohen at Brothers Three, some restaurant or some lounge in the hotel at the. This Sheraton. sounds awful. Oh, it was perfect. He was smoking. Maury was smoking his cigarette through the whole gig. So I have pictures <laughs> of these cool cigarette smoke wafting through the photo, and uh, he he was a nice guy. And uh, but anyway, I went to bed. Next morning, I hear some talking in the room next to me. And I realized it's the salespeople from the hotel. Like they're not just talking. They're they're not on business calls. They're just chitter chattering. And it's like eight in the morning and I knock on the wall and they knocked back. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? And I go, when I go to check out, I go, yeah, what's going on? Oh, that's the sales room. They, uh, yeah, we always put the comedians right next to the sales room. And I'm like, that's stupid. <laughs> Who's going to get into bed latest and get up latest? So I always had to make sure I tried to find a room not near the desk, not near the gym, not near the ice machine, not near the elevator, blah, 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 blah. And also turn off your alarm because traveling salesmen get up earlier than traveling comedians. Absolutely. And yeah. it, some guys, I, I remember they would bring like clips to uh, clip the curtains together. Oh, that's a good idea. So because the crack of the lights <laughs> wouldn't get in because yep. they wanted a cave. I would uh, put the pillow up against the curtains to keep them closed. And I also yeah. traveled with my own pillow after week one. Uh, this guy, Harry Milky said, oh, I talked to Kay Francis. She's a comedian. She says she travels with her own pillow because uh, if she's asleep a third of her life, you know, why don't you have that be familiar? And I was like, all right, that works. So I still yeah. travel with my own pillow, which is an albatross around my neck. And when you don't fly on, with it, do you? I, yes, I do. Come on. Really? It's you uh, do? It, I do. It's uh, <laughs> I'm not happy about it, but I'm happy about it. You're it that takes guy. up way more room. Yeah. Well, you get hotel pillows that are like, oh, what is this? This is a rock. Oh, what please. Really? No, tough it out for a couple days, oh, will you? Never. The worst. <laughs> I would I would bring an inflatable uh, pillow before I would not bring a pillow. Uh, do you, how many of these places you stayed were condos and how many were uh, apartments? For people who don't know, the comedy condo was basically an apartment. They would put the co the comedians up at, and they were varying degrees of cleanliness and safety and yes repair I, my, disrepair. My very first comedy condo was my second week on the road, and I was so fired up about it. It was in Dayton, Ohio, Jokers, and it was a two bedroom uh, apartment. And I did that done, one. Did you? Well, mm -hmm. if you as you may recall, they had a third bedroom just off the kitchen in where like a table would be in an eat-in kitchen. But what they did is they put up a wall with a door and put a twin bed in there. And the door, you'd open it up and you'd hit the twin bed. It was that small. 
And then also the intake for all the air conditioning for the house, for the condo was in that room. So you go to bed at night and you turn on the heat and all the wind would whistle through under the door <laughs> to go into the intake in my room so that I could circulate the air for the entire condo. And I get woken up. It was so loud. So, but I love being there. It was so exciting to me. The hotels, sometimes they were great. Um, <laughs> I stayed in, uh, in Owensboro, Kentucky at the Executive Inn, which I think they've since demolished. But it was a beautiful place on the river. And uh, the weird thing about that was like that was the first time something happened on the road that made it into my act. And uh, they, had the, they had a card on the end table from the exterminator that said, <laughs> Dear customer, due to the fact that we're situated on the banks of the Ohio River from time to time, hard shell beetles may fly into the room. Though similar in appearance, they are not cockroaches. And I was like, I think they're missing the point here. I got a single. I don't want anything crawling into my room. Uh, no, no, sir. That's not a rat. That's an Ecuadorian prairie dog. <laughs> I, hope that's, uh, South America. <clears throat> I hope that's uh, in the book, the, the copy is. of that card. It is. I, I, I saved it. That's the type of scrapbooky <laughs> thing I have in there, you know. Executive in. I have the Wathen Exterminators card in the book with my little jokes. And I have jokes from everybody I worked with in there, too. So, Oh, that's great. Yeah. How about the uh, the promo signs? Like I had a couple great ones that I've still kept over the years. The uh, the ones outside that I had one was a flyer that said like um, I think it was a college that I did is all you can eat wings plus comedy. <laughs> yep, <laughs> and it was like and then my name five dollars yep. or something. But I was below the wings. Like yep. I was yeah. I have one for in there. Drink and drown. Get crazy night. Then comedy caravan underneath it. Yeah, there's a it, you were you were riding bull. You know that was a time when that was the attraction. We have stand up comedy. Oh, we have karaoke. Yeah. And now now it would be karaoke, I guess. But we were just the uh, the entertainment. So I started around 1990, like in in yeah mid 1990, and I saw just the remnants of the comedy boom of the 80s, just the tail end, and mm-hmm. and literally about. You know, there was about 14 full-time comedy rooms in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, between Chicago and the suburbs, between the city and the suburbs. And within about a year of me starting, half of them had closed. Okay. Yeah. And within two years, by 92, maybe there was four or five left. Okay. Um, And so you got to at least live a little bit of the the tail end of it. How was it? Yeah. And did you see that drop off pretty quick after, after all? Well, I, I remember, uh, I wanted to, I wanted, my situation was I wanted to get work and then I quickly got work and I realized as an opening act after about six months, I realized where I was on the pecking order. It's like, okay, well normally I was better than most opening acts is what I learned from the other comics I worked with. So I started eyeballing, getting to move up to the middle. And I realized that people wouldn't, it was, they were just the last people to move you up were the people who first, you know, open, you're an opener in those people's eyes until you go away for a year. Yeah. And then you say, then they say, wait, man, why haven't you been back here? And you say, well, I've been middling everywhere. Oh, really? Well, send us a tape. And then they do. And then you finally get back in there as a middle act. But there was, um, there was a, I didn't want to show myself off to Chicago. You bring up Chicago, but in the book here, I was trying to audition for Chicago, but because you guys had 14 clubs full time and I list them all in the book. It was, just, yeah. <laughs> it was a great spot, but I didn't want to go there again as another opening act uh, place to, uh, to be thought yeah. of as an opening act. Um, what was the question? Did you ever live there? Like I lived there in the summer of 93, uh, right before I moved to, moved to uh, 
State Division, Canterbury Arms. Okay. Um, so when we were yeah. worked together, you were living there. Yes, I wanted I, to. My whole thing was like, oh, I'm gonna. I got in with those clubs in Chicago, and I wanted to work every week in Chicago. And I worked probably five of the eight weeks. I had an apartment downtown for two months, and I wanted to be living. I wanted to live in Chicago briefly, and I wanted to keep working, and I wanted to take class at Second City. So I was able to do a Saturday class at Second City, and then work comedy clubs in the area, and have my own apartment, which I never had since well, since '88. So it would have been like five years. And what year did you move to L.A.? I moved in January of uh, 94, right after the Chicago summer. Okay. So you, you were here for the uh, earthquake. I had moved here, and then two weeks later, the big earthquake hit. I <laughs> Good timing. Up, uh, uh, I uh, I wanted to be a mover and shaker, but I didn't know. Hey, ready. what the? I remember calling Paul Gilmartin up because he had just moved as well. I said, all right, guys, I have a rider truck. Let's get out of here. You know, I was like, what the hell? But in hindsight, I liked having such a huge earthquake because anything after that was like, oh, this isn't right. 7.1. <laughs> this is like a four, maybe. It was just, ooh, I didn't know how, you know, being there for a strong one was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I didn't live out here for that one. So I, you know, I felt a lot of little ones, but I still haven't, yeah. still haven't felt a, a big one like that. And I hope I don't, but yeah. you never know. They keep saying we're due. You're due. Yeah. yeah. Eh, I <laughs> so tell me about the uh, the process of writing a book and is this self-published i uh self-published it because i didn't uh, want to bother anyone else with it <laughs> okay <laughs> but something yeah. with so many photos that's expensive right yeah so i i, I my whole thing is I, i'm gonna have a photo on every page the group photo and at least another photo of a comic i worked with on stage so I could really show what the clubs that were like. And uh, so I finished the book, sent it off to Amazon to self-publish it. And they said, okay, it's 75 megabytes. That's pretty big. And from what I understand, a normal book without photos might be like 10. Oh. So that affects how much it costs them to make it, which affects how much you can make. And uh, they have different percentages at Amazon. If you go with a 70% commission or a 35% commission, well, I'm no fool. I want the 70% commission. <laughs> well, sir, if you do that, then you have to pay a delivery fee per book. And your delivery fee would be $11.25. Okay. Uh, also, you can only price the book up to $9.99. So I'd lose $1.26 per book? Yes. Hmm. And that's not a good chip's money tip. That's a horrible chip's money tip. You got to go with the 35% where then you can set the price and do the... Yeah. So I, I make like $4 a book. Okay, how fine. how much is the book? So, uh, the paperback's twenty one ninety nine. The Kindle's eleven ninety nine. How about that? Okay, and there's a hardcover which you don't want to buy because it's forty five dollars. <laughs> forty five. You, you do. Yeah, come on, who doesn't? And it we'll started have, off. Yeah, we'll have a link to it on uh, on our site too. So, and if you, you uh, yeah, the uh, hardcover was great because it's like full color. The the uh, you know the paperback's black and white, but the full color version is the hardcover. And I really just put that up there so I could get a copy. But when <laughs> I put it up there, they're like, okay, this is going to cost us $69.48 to make. And I was like, that's not even with me making anything on it. So I'm like, all right, I'll list it at that. And that'll be that. And then they dropped, they listed it. And right when they listed it, they dropped it 20% down to 56 bucks. And then like a few days later, it's at 46. So right now it's like 46 bucks. I don't know how. I didn't do anything. They just, even then they're probably like, well, no one's going to buy this. <laughs> That's I got to have that for my coffee table. I got to have yeah. it. Right? <laughs> it 
What do you wish you would have done something differently, or uh, can you get advice to anybody who wants to? Yeah, their I own think, book? Uh, uh, Google your name so you don't end up getting a bunch of charging mounts to stand up. <laughs> um, I was all excited about my title, charging mount stand up. Yeah, it's good. I tack mount stand up. <laughs> so that would be research a little better. Um, but it's a title. Uh, the I, I had somebody uh, do the formatting for me and the cover. I went through Fiverr, the website, F-I-V-E-R-R, and that was great. Saved me so much time. I didn't want to have to learn that. So it's like a few hundred bucks. They did the design for the cover, and they, they did the layout for the book, the hardcover, the paperback. So that's great. Way to save money. You don't have to put out much money to put out a book. So I recommend if you have one in your head to put it on paper and get it out there. How about this speaking software? What about those people who hate to type? Yes, I'm not a typist. I I think I learned typing freshman year in uh, high school, but wisely I didn't keep up on it. Yeah, it turns out that, that and Spanish were the two things we needed the most going on in our yeah. life. Yeah, <laughs> and I I tell myself every New Year's like learn typing again, and I just don't do it. It's stupid that I don't do it. Um, what was the question? Uh. <clears throat> Sorry. Oh, things to learn, things to do. Um, what did you said? Something. Somebody out there will yell it through the airwaves, and we'll learn what it was. Um, <laughs> the book. What the did type, I ask you? You something about? I mentioned the formatting of the book. Uh, oh, the typing uh, software, the speaking yes, software. Thank you, Dragon. Naturally speaking, it's really good, and uh, it comes with a headset. So I strapped on my headset, and I looked like Judy from Time Life. Reference last time, younger viewers. <laughs> and uh, you just speak normally and it starts to catch, starts to learn how you speak. So if you're not a typist, you, you USB plug it into your computer and you just start reading your book or reading what you're typing or want to have typed. And it types it out and it learns you pretty well. Um, I started doing it with Google. Like they have a free service, but then then they have your voice somewhere. And I don't need that. No, you don't need Big and Brother. You'd rather brother. have him making money off your book. Right. So then I thought, well, it was also slower than Dragon Naturally Speaking. So I I gave up on that quickly and just went to Dragon Naturally Speaking. You know, bought that for like 50 bucks. It's not expensive. Okay. And how fast is it? Like, do you have to speak in a certain speed? Probably. Southern speed, <laughs> Southern yeah. speed or northern you speed? Wanna... You want to put a little Tallahassee in there, slow it down <laughs> just a little, make sure they get all your words right. Right. Okay. It's good to use okay. diction. <laughs> Do you have to say things like period? Uh, uh, yes. Exclamation period, point. quote, okay. new line. And uh, that was fun. Yeah. So that was uh, was really helpful. You can do little bits at a time, just speak it, and then you see it in writing. It's very nice. Yeah. I'm thinking of that might be because the type sitting it out, the idea of sitting in, and typing it all out was a big hurdle to me over the years. So you're talking about your journals or a book? Yeah, yeah, a yeah. Yeah, just yeah. translating these things to just getting them down, like handwritten stuff and yeah. that kind of thing. Did you keep all the stuff? Was it handwritten in journals or was it like written on a laptop or something? I had handwritten them in journals, spiral notebooks, you know, like a six by nine notebook. And I probably have 80 of them or 100 of them, something like that. Mm. And, you know, there's no nothing really damning in there. <laughs> it's like I have them. Uh, yeah. Is there things you left out to protect the uh, innocent? <laughs> like, yeah, a little bit of things because I some things you you butt heads with somebody. Like there was a comedy club 
that was bragging to me about, oh, we're going to go. The other club's coming down. The guys from the other club are coming down. We're going to go have dinner. I'm going to take this guy to dinner and that guy to dinner. And like, are you mentioning my name at all here? <laughs> and they didn't. So I was like, you know, screw these people. But then I realized, you know, I, I so I didn't go to dinner with those folks. Now, I also I could have put in that book, these guys are jerks and they didn't uh, invite me to dinner, which they didn't. But also it could be. Yeah, I remember that. I Let's say I write that in the book and then I can easily see that person saying, dude, I remember that specifically because we went looking for you and you weren't anywhere. Thanks for writing that in the book. You know, so there's things like that that I had to be, you know, take a hard look at and say, you know, is this worth doing? Is this worth? And for what reason? Why? Who cares? Who cares that they did or didn't ask me to dinner? Right. So right. little things like that. Um, I remember you were never much of a, um, you know, big drinker or a partier as they were back in the day. Yeah. Were there any incidents where you uh, maybe had a couple, couple too many and wrote about that? Uh, well, I, I ran into someone who had too many. I, <laughs> one cool thing is that in standup, you would do uh, radio. The headliner would usually do radio, but the headliner in Lexington, Kentucky, didn't want. He he lived in Cincinnati, which was only like ninety minutes away, so he wanted to go back home and sleep in his own bed. And the club said, "Sure, you can do that if the Chip and Mark Boyd, the opener and feature act, will cover the radio." I said, "Great." So the next morning we did radio, and I made a plea to anybody who knew this girl I I knew from school. This cute girl lived in town, and I said. <laughs> You know, if anybody knows, ever come to the club. And then she showed up at the club. <laughs> and then I had two shows, but she kept drinking beer at the bar next door. And then um, we had, I had, after the shows, I had a beer and I walked her back to her apartment. And then she came out of her restroom naked. What? I know. That, that was like memorable. I was like, what the what? <laughs> so I wasn't drinking, but I thought, well, now I might have a shot. But, hey, but she was very nice. And, um, and here's the photo. Think, oh, I, <laughs> I remember we drank uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. I, I worked with Gary Laser and Rick Tempest, and we had a great time. But looking at the journal, nothing really great happened. I think it's just because we just drank a lot. They had the club. And then down below the club, they had a Mexican restaurant called The Old Bar. And the, the club was so generous to us. And uh, just we drank beer like crazy. And uh, there was another. That was a case where. Um, Gary and Rick were messing around with this boss hog looking dude and his date. And they were talking and dancing and goofing around. And then we go to my car to take us back to the condo. And, um, he had left a note on there. Hey, it's great seeing you Yankees come down here and mess with us country folks. <laughs> and I was like, Yankee again, there's that Yankee thing. <laughs> but yeah, we do drank you, a lot of beer. Do you think the road, I mean, you think it's similar now for kids starting out? who are like 30 years younger than us and they're still doing because these kind of clubs and everything, they still exist. But instead of now keeping this journal, if this was happening all nowadays, it would probably just go to your Instagram feed. Yeah. And yeah. you may not have even, you know, remembered all this. Yeah. I don't know what the kids are doing today. I mean, I don't know. I don't think the same structures in place, but I don't mm -hmm. really know. I think there are fewer clubs or the week-long clubs that we used to do Tuesday through Sundays, which I hear now are more like a Friday, Saturday. Or yeah, the money hasn't but gone I, up. I know I've heard that. I've heard the money hasn't gone up in 30 years. Yeah, the money's the same, which means it's basically half. If, not, <laughs> yeah. if it's 20, 21 years ago, the money would be half what it is now. So if it's 30 years ago, that's even it's even less money. So well, I don't know how they're getting. No, yeah. 
Well, let's talk money and travel because that is, sure. uh, you know, Chip's money tips. Sure. My other venture. <laughs> yeah. And how's that going? Good. I just, I kind of uh, pumped the brakes on my website, chipsmoneytips.com because uh, I was working on this book and finishing it. Took a little bit more time than I thought it would. So if you are a subscriber and it's free to subscribe, you haven't gotten an email lately. That's that's fine. You're, <laughs> you're not out of the loop. You're still on the system. Well, the first time you were on, this was years ago, we talked about saving money with travel. Yes. And you hit me to a um, site called Autoslash, which I've used yes. a bunch. Uh, any uh, new tips? Have you gotten any? <laughs> it's, uh, Have you traveled it's, much? I haven't traveled much. With COVID, we just I haven't uh, done much traveling at all. How about the credit card hacking? Have you been doing? I've been still hacking. I uh, it got tight during COVID. They because I'm a guy who would like to get a credit card to get a bonus and then stop using the card. And uh, it got kind of tight during COVID because they were afraid people weren't going to pay them back, so they weren't giving out as much credit. And then maybe a year ago, that loosened up. And I remember getting four ink business cards in over one year period, which is a, a lot of cards. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd have one for each business. Oh, there's one for your acting business. Here's one for real estate. Here's one for business consulting. And they kept These are the Chase Inc. So ones. And you... Chase Inc., which had the huge bonus of like, and now it's $900 or 90,000 Chase Ultimate Rewards points if you spend yeah. Six grand, but those are all business cards, which you can still get even if you don't have an official entity like a LLC or S Corp. You can still get a business card. You just use your your own name and your social as the name of the business and the tax ID number, and then just put you're a sole proprietor, so you can still get these things. Um, okay. If you anybody want giving cards, a big I, bonus, anybody giving a big bonus these days? Yeah, the uh, the Chase Inc. right now is still really big. I can I'm looking on my website now. If you if you if you are at home looking at my website, it's in the top right corner under Chip's favorite credit card offers, and I would click business credit cards. And I I think they I just looked at this the other day. Yeah, they have the Chase Inc. business cash card has no annual fee, and you'll get a nine hundred dollar bonus. Yeah, after spending three thousand dollars in the first. Six. I'm, let me. My mouth is broken. You'll get a nine hundred dollar bonus cash back after spending six thousand dollars on purchases in the first three months. So, you break that down, it's two thousand dollars a month to spend on stuff, and you'll get a nice bonus of nine hundred dollars. Or they, I think they give it to you in ultimate rewards points, which is ninety thousand ultimate rewards points, which then you can use to go through Chase's travel site, and they'll give you an yeah. extra. Bump. Yeah. So it's it's a nice chunk. So flights that, you know, I've used those a bunch. Those are good for flights, hotels, even restaurants or things. You yeah. can, you can, you know, stores, you could use them for anything. So, yeah. So, well, Chip, thank you for doing this, man. This is uh, really you. cool. Um, when you look back on all this and, you know, I, we was talk about on the show about how travel can change people. And when you look at the kid who started going on the road at the start of the year and the kid at the end of the year, how do you think it changed you and what did you learn about yourself and the country? Well, one thing I, I I think about is when I started, I was like, this is awesome. I'm in a different town every week and I eat out, eat out every meal. And then six months later, I'm like, I'm in a different town every week and I eat out every meal. <laughs> so it, it it could get old, but I found that it, doing fun things like I was in uh, I, I was in Iowa City and a college friend of mine lived there. And uh, I was doing a gig at the Plum Creek Lounge at the Best Western, and but Randy Harrison lived in town, and we went rock climbing. So there's, you know, there's always something cool you can do that you're not thinking about. My mom suggested this, and I never did it. 
But she said, you know, if you go to a town, you know, go ask the Chamber of Commerce where you can catch a tour. <laughs> I should have done it. I never did. But it was such a good idea. I was like, yeah, why not learn about the city? I loved uh, I loved downtown Des Moines. It was such a fun place to be. I like drinking beer outside is what it turns out. <laughs> it sounds like it. You have it a turns out beer. I bet on that Chamber of Commerce tour, no matter what town you're in, you could get at least three or four good jokes out of it. Right. And I just <laughs> never did it. And, and the it locals would, would eat it up. The locals would eat it up. Exactly. It would have been, you'd hometowned them to death. They'd go, oh my gosh. <laughs> I remember doing something like that when Adopt-A-Highways came out and I was in Raleigh and they had Adopt-A-Highways and I was like, so I just got to town and I adopted a highway. We are hoping <laughs> for a girl, but you take what they give you. But now I'm going to be able to give it opportunities I it never would have had before. I'm going to give I-40 opportunities that we never would have had before. Something like that. That's classic. Classic chittery. Classic chittery coming at you. Uh, <laughs> the beautiful beauty of the country. I love seeing the Smoky Mountains driving through that. I would I've pictures that I've taken of those vistas that are not good. You know, I, I, I couldn't really capture the beauty of them, but they're enough for me to pull over and take a snapshot of them. It's a beautiful country. Yeah, Get really out there is. and see it. Some of it's really dry out in the West, but that has its own beauty. Absolutely. And you drive by corn literally for hours. It's really, you'd be stunned how many cornfields there are in Iowa. Oh, it's crazy. It was hours of driving by corn. Hours. Corn and soybeans, man. Corn and soybeans. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, Chip, thank you for doing this. And finally, where can people get the book? If I were you, I would avoid trying to find it on Amazon because of the charging mount uh, situation. (laughs) Just go to chipchinnery.com. The first thing that pops up is the book, and you can just click on it. It'll take you to the exact spot on Amazon, and you can get the the books in whatever version you want. Okay, and you're on Instagram as well? I'm on the gram. I'm on the Twit. I'm on the uh, Facebook (laughs) at Chip Chinnery on all of them. I'm on the YouTube that way, too. I just realized I got my handle now. Right. And where can people see you on the screen? Are you uh, have you shot any new uh, acting roles? I have not shot any new. Uh, I still have my Wells Fargo commercial running with uh, Regina King. I play her locksmith. That's and, still going. Uh, Good for you. That's still going. I'm like it. It just became my all time highest earner, which is a nice. thing. That's amazing. Is going to make it to two Super Bowls? Oh, I don't know. That, <laughs> oh, that'd be great because it still would. It still has. Like it, uh, the commercials run for 21 months if they want to, and then they have to renegotiate. So it still would be within 21 months. So that'd be nice. Yeah. Jumped on the Super Bowl. That'd be uh, perfect. That was nice. And you can see all these clips on my website too. If you want to see who the hell Mike's talking about, <laughs> I have like over a hundred clips on, on chipchinnery.com under chips clips. Chip chittery, chipchinnery.com. Yes. Thank Charging you. Mount Stand Up. My first year on the road. I think you'll like it. Congratulations on uh, writing it. Thanks, Michael. All right. Chip Chittery, everyone.